Linux Out Loud is firing up our mics, connecting those headphones as we search the community for themes to expound upon. We keep the banter friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. This week, we're spouting off about the rising energy costs and using lower-powered devices. Let's get into episode 41. Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. With me today are two fantastic people. Matt couldn't be with us, and I told you what would happen if Matt couldn't be here. We'd get Bill back. Yay! And we have the one and only Cubicle Nate in his cubicle labs doing all the cubicle things. I enjoy being here. I noticed that the studio smells so much better without Matt on the other side of the uh, microphone. Yes, the room (laughs) does smell better in here because it is scented with peppermint, as in peppermint Linux. For the record, I have not changed to Peppermint Linux. I just like the idea of a festive Linux distro. Considering that I use OpenSUSE as well, I would say that your somewhat healthy addiction to OpenSUSE (laughs) is very contagious. Almost healthy obsession, Bill. You're just as bad as Matt. I'm sorry, that wasn't very nice. I know Nate recently talking about ways that he's installing additional packages and stuff on his system has me a little more intrigued in dipping my toes into OpenSUSE again, but I don't have time to play with a new distro, so I'm waiting until we are through at least regionals, maybe state of robotics before I play with any of that. You had some really exciting stuff going on with a friend's wedding, Bill. I did. I had the pleasure and privilege of being the best man at a dear friend's wedding. And as the best man, I am obligated to give a speech and a toast. And during that speech, I decided that I would play a really nice prank on my friend who over the years has played several pranks on me. (laughs) And the prank was basically where I went up to give my speech and I thanked everybody for coming and I complimented the bride. And then I asked my wife to hand me a manila folder which consisted of several useless pieces of paper that had diagrams and drawings and text. I think it was the instructions on how to build my desk. And I addressed the crowd and I said, I hope you're all comfortable because we're going to be here for about 40 minutes. (laughs) And no one likes a long best man speech. No one. And you could see everybody's eyes glaze over. And so I said, in this folder, I have a list of every joke that my friend has played on me over the years right here. And what I did when I opened the folder is I, using my thumbs to hold pieces of paper in place, released one of my thumbs and shook the folder, which sent the papers flying all over the place. (laughs) And I kind of looked around a bit surprised and I said, well, that didn't go to plan. So I guess we're going to have to stick with the last page here, which talks about what a great guy that this friend of mine is. And then I gave my five minute speech and my friend and his wife were mildly amused at my prank, but everybody else thought it was real that I had actually intended to go full tilt on him and that I had not intended to let the papers fly. So I had to kind of explain that to everybody afterwards. But what a great weekend. It was up in the mountains of New England with some nice foliage left and a beautiful view and just a nice gathering of friends and family. I had a great time. Nice. Sounds like it was a lot of fun. I think it's excellent when a best man can really ham it up or, or just really get the groom and the bride like a little like on their heels. To me, that is the best, especially if it's like a little bit awkward, even as a one of the attendees or whatever of the wedding. Anytime there can be something like that's a little bit, I don't want to say cringy the right word, but like where people are just uneasy is the best. Especially when you like, it's obviously nothing bad. It's just you're playing a, a quick little prank as part of the speech and, and you're all nicey about it. I think that makes it really good because then everybody's happy at the end. And if you can pull stuff like that off, that's absolutely fantastic. Well, when I looked at him as I was giving the speech, I could see him slink in his chair and his eyes just about as wide as dinner plates. (laughs) And then after the speech was done, his new wife had some choice words for me, which I cannot repeat on this podcast. And that was my confirmation that I had done a good job. (laughs) Excellent. Was he more worried about the pranks that he played he didn't want his new wife to know about? She knew about them. That was the tough part for me was that she was fully aware of the ones that he had played on me. He wasn't shy about it. She just wasn't aware that I had planned on getting retribution for said pranks on that day. (laughs) 
That makes it even funnier. I think it was fully justified. Yes, exactly. It didn't ruin her whole day. It's fine. Did not ruin her whole day. (laughs) And I will be glad to explain to the two of you guys off the air what the most recent prank was. (laughs) Ooh, I am very curious now. Very, very curious. I guess we better uh, get the show done so we can hear about what these pranks are. So I have also been looking around for some new hardware to replace my current podcasting and gaming setup, which is an older i7 with some RAM and a decent GPU in it. But with some new gear that AMD has released recently, I have been very interested in replacing it. So one of my to-dos on Friday is going to find the best deals on the hardware that I want and build myself a new setup. I am super curious as to what hardware you're looking at. Because it's been a couple years since I built my system. I don't plan on rebuilding one right now, but I'm always interested in when somebody's building a custom system, what are the things they're looking for? What's the hardware you're looking for? And do you have anything that if you can't get it within this price, you're going to fall back to X piece of hardware? One of the benefits of where I work is that we build custom PCs for some of our clients. One of the requirements that I gave to my shop manager was it needs all the rgbs because that makes it go faster and he (laughs) rolled his eyes this is true oh man more rainbow vomit well i am actually not a fan of the rainbow vomit so i like a little bit of light inside but i definitely don't need to be blinded by rainbow vomit it just distracts me and then i stare at it all day and get nothing done so i look for (laughs) a quiet machine And the chassis that I've chosen is a Be Quiet chassis, and I'm going to put some Noctua fans in there. So this PC will barely make a whisper. Noctua is awesome. I absolutely love Noctua fans. My desktop next to me is running all Noctua fans. When you hear it being noisy, that isn't the Noctua. That's because I have my GPU, the fan curve, turned up pretty gosh dang high because I would rather deal with a noisy GPU than a hot dying GPU. Though to be fair, I really need to re-thermal paste the one that's currently in my system, but I do need to get new thermal pads before I can do that, and that would help a ton with that heat stuff going on. So make sure you're sharing pictures when you build it or during the build. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, so do I. That's the hardware addict side of me coming out. We build custom machines for clients who do some very advanced graphical work. And it's not uncommon to have a machine with two, three, four GPUs in it for the kind of rendering work that they do. So we're very familiar with what's required to build a good machine. And I am glad to say yeah. that this time around, I am going 100% Team Red. So which GPU are you going for then? The one that comes to mind is the 7900. Nice. Which I'm not really sure I need a card with that much power. I don't play a lot of AAA games. I'm somewhere in the middle of the AAA and the retro world. I need something that will be steady, stable, not give me a lot of trouble, and play my vintage 2000 through 2010 games that I love so much. Sounds like a plan. I'm looking forward to see what that actual purchase hardware list is. Yeah, I'd like to see what the keyboard and mouse and case and all that stuff. That'd be great. So speaking of gaming hardware, Nate, talk to me a little bit about what you've been doing with your Steam Deck. As a fellow uh, OpenSUSE person, I'm rather curious. Well, when I first got the Steam Deck, I had really made up my mind that I was going to put OpenSUSE on it because... That's just what I do. There's even a poll in the Tux Digital Network forum of that very question. When is that going to happen? Well, it hasn't happened yet. I would like to note that it was Bill, yes, Bill, that suggested that poll. I plead the fifth. (laughs) I mean, that's your right to plead the fifth, I guess. (laughs) The experience in the Steam Deck has been really awesome. And it's not off the table that OpenSUSE will end up on there eventually, just not quite yet. But leaving it as it is like without doing any changes. The things that make it really awesome to use this gaming console over other gaming consoles for an OpenSUSE user, and really any Linux user, really. But what makes it really awesome is that because it has Linux 
and plasma gel as part of the underlying technology on it. It means that there's some things you can do without having to jailbreak it or crack it or do some sort of an exploit that makes managing files and so forth just absolutely fantastic on the Steam Deck. The best part is I can remotely manage all of the content on the Steam Deck without ever having to actually touch the Steam Deck itself. I can remotely do all that work and it's absolutely fantastic. And that's one of my favorite features of the Steam Deck. Speaking of managing the Steam Deck over SSH, you can also do fun things to it when your kids are using it, like reboot it, power it off, kill their process, or other things like making it play a sound when you want to get their attention. So I could log into my Steam Deck now and I know that my oldest has my Steam Deck, I could go in there and just have it start playing sounds. You could, but what you need is that dad told you you only get a half hour. <laughs> it's been 31 minutes. It's time to shut it down and put it away. Do that. I can get right into it. <laughs> Record yourself that has you nagging them to log off of it. And then when you SSH in, just use something like MPG123 and play the sound over the speakers. And that will get their <laughs> attention real fast. I can have different sounds Your on chores there. chores aren't done yet. Exactly. Put the Steam Deck away. Sleep the floor, do your homework, <laughs> mop the floor, put the dishes in the dishwasher or washer. Yeah, all kinds of fun things I could do. I didn't think about that. I love that idea. Can't do that with a Nintendo Switch or a PlayStation 5. Nope. I took my Steam Deck to work one day. Instantly made everybody jealous, but more importantly, I plugged it into the laptop dock at my desk and I use it as a semi-productivity tool for a good <laughs> chunk of the day. I will tell you that the Steam Deck got very loud and very hot trying to power three large monitors, keyboard, mouse, and all the accoutrements Ooh. that are on my desk at my office. But it actually held up okay, and it instantly took to the dock without any issue. I had plasma across all three monitors. I had a browser. Everything just worked the way that I would normally use a normal work computer with some minor limitations. I don't put all my work apps on my personal stuff, but I wanted to just show everybody how versatile of a device the Steam Deck really is. Yeah, it really is. And because the desktop works so well, I didn't like the default theme on there. It was too, I don't know, Steam OS-y. I searched for and installed the OpenSUSE Breeze dark theme that I, well, I should say the plasma style and color scheme that I made for myself, but I, I put out there in the kvelooks.org thing. You can very easily just go in there, access it, add the theme to my Steam Deck. So it's kind of like a, a little bit like a faux OpenSUSE right now. You'll see the chameleon in the corner of the menu. And that makes me a little bit happier. That's what I did mostly. And there's some other things too, but it really is a fantastic little machine that allows me to manage it in such a way that as a Linux user, as someone who wants to have control over the hardware, there's no headaches, no work I have to do to make that happen. Wendy, you have a Bendy update? Yes. Yeah, so I was only like an hour and a half, two hours into this game when we talked last week. I am now almost 10 hours into this game and I've died many times. Told you that would happen <laughs> too. <laughs> you leaked ink everywhere. Yes. Uh, definitely so absolutely loving this game. I'm really glad that I went ahead and picked it up. Last time we were talking, I was having some issues with that start menu. So I was getting like these funky colors behind the start menu instead of the actual picture. There was an update to the game like the day after that that fixed that. So it's running on Linux for me without any hitches. Oh, nice. I'm using the experimental version of Proton across all of the games. And when I tried to go ahead and put a report on the one where you can report how Windows games are playing on Steam, on Linux. It wanted to include me as a tinker because I was forcing the experimental kernel, though I really wasn't tinkering with it because I'm forcing the experimental kernel for all of the games. I just find it fun to be on the bleeding edge unless I find a reason to roll a particular game back to a later version of Proton. I usually run everything on the experimental, so really no tweaking on it. The game is definitely getting harder and harder. I'm finding more correlations between the old game and the new game. It's really expanding on the storyline of the previous game, and I cannot recommend it enough. 
I was looking through some of the reviews, especially the ones on Steam, and somebody's responses. There's not enough of a hit that you take if you die during the boss battles or whatever, because it just pops you back up with half health. And I'm like, no, don't change it. Don't change it. Stop telling them to change that. I play this game (laughs) for the puzzle portion of it, not for the combat portion of it. So we don't need it to be a combat game. If I wanted a combat game, I'd go find one. Why don't you go find a combat game and leave my flipping puzzle game alone? Yeah. That's my two cents on that. Sometimes when they like build a game and then they change how the game plays can be good. But I think if they did it in that way, because you play it for the story purpose, made the game more difficult, the boss battles more difficult. I can see that as being not a good change. The difficulty has already been established. Right, exactly. And they have made some things harder. There is certain enemies you're dodging that actually take more of your health away faster. In that way, they definitely have made the game harder, but they've added some other elements to it that they didn't have before. But like I said, I don't play it for the boss battles. And for the most part, it's very much the same. There's actually more rooms to explore, more stuff to find in this one. I'm really enjoying the extra exploration. I think I'm now in chapter three. No, this says I've completed chapter three. So I would be in chapter four of the game with 10 hours into it. I probably have at least another three to four hours at minimum, probably more. And because of something else that I just achieved, it said there's extras in past places that I was and gives me options to get back to certain places that I was in before. So overall, I think I have many, many more hours of this original playthrough with the original content. Definitely worth the $30 with 10 hours in, for me, it was absolutely worth it. So if you played the first one, loved it, and were on the fence on whether you wanted to get the second one, it's a two thumbs up from me. Well, that's really fantastic. I'm glad you're having a good time with it. It stinks when you buy a game and you end up not liking it. Yeah, definitely. And there are some games that I've played the demos of and I was like, oh man, I totally dodged disaster there. (laughs) And there are other games that I have chosen, like when I had the Humble Bundle pack and I'm like, oh yeah, that one looks like fun. And I get it as part of my Humble Bundle game pack and then I start to play it and I'm like, this is nothing like what I thought it'd be. What was it? Uh, Little Miss Sunshine? I think that was the name of the game. One of the most depressing games there is. I wasn't very far into it and I'm like, nope, uninstall. Never playing that one ever again. There was another one recently that was on sale about alligators and I'd installed the demo of that one and didn't get very far into it. And I'm like, yep, glad I didn't spend the money there. It is not one of the games that I enjoy playing. So I'm very thankful for demos. Right. And that's how I got the original Bendy as I played the demo first. Yeah, that's cool. I think it's great when you find a game, you enjoy the game so much that you actually can play through it all. Yes. I think I've only got maybe one or two in that bucket right now. And I think about it. I have a terrible time of actually finishing games. There are a few that I've played all the way through. So Candle was the one that I've played all the way through, I think at least twice. And then there's a couple more that I played all the way through. And I can't remember exactly what they're called right now, but I'll drop them in the show description. So there are a few I've played all the way through, including the original Bendy. This is one that I'm definitely going to be playing all the way through to the end. It sounds like there's also multiple endings. So that might mean I've got to play it again. Well, that'll be fun. When my daughter plays, there will be a camera on her because when she jump scares during this game, I just (laughs) about die laughing and nothing against my daughter. It, it is just absolutely hilarious. So one of the first times when she was playing the original Bendy, I was standing behind her as she was playing and one of the Bendy cutouts pops around the corner and she jumps so bad that the mouse goes moving all across and she can't even turn to run away because she can't reorient herself. Nice. So when she plays this one, I'm looking forward to multiple ones of those. Well, that's just fantastic. <laughs> Watching my daughter down chair. Yeah. And then you have to keep that footage because then when she graduates, goes off to college, whatever, you have the graduation party, you can have like videos of things like that playing to embarrass her. It's perfect. (laughs) The 
Well, she's very open with that kind of stuff about being jump scared with those things. I might have other video and pictures from her younger years that she'd be more embarrassed about than her playing the video game. Always fear a photographer as a parent because they will always have evidence <laughs> on you for the rest of your life. Yep. Thousands and thousands of pictures. This episode of Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, well, let's say complex, especially for a guy like me. But standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. Predictable pricing, robust product documentation, and services that developers love. That's DigitalOcean. Get support at every stage of growth, from teams of one, so just you, to teams of a thousand with simple, powerful cloud computing and growing at DigitalOcean. As a listener of Linux Out Loud and a member of the Tux Digital community, you can get started for free. In fact, it's even better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you $100 credit when you sign up at do.co slash tux2022. That's do co slash tux2022. So again, go to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform. Go to do.co slash tux2022. Energy costs are rising not only across our country, but really across many different countries. It seems to be more of a global phenomenon happening right now. And one of the curious things that we can look into are these lower power devices. They can also be hard to get our hands on. Raspberry Pis are really, really hard to get a hold of. You can get a hold of some of the Pico boards, but not all of them are available. So what are some of the other options out there? What are some of the ways that you can keep going with some of these really cool projects and not spend as much to keep them up and running? I know, Bill, you've already dropped some awesome alternatives into our show notes, and I'm curious to hear you talking about them. Are they things that you've used? I have used some of these. And if you're into the ARM world and the real small system, single board computer type devices, you can look at a device like the Banana Pi or some of the Odroid stuff. There's also Rock64 makes some neat hardware. And all of these serve the same function that you would get out of a Raspberry Pi. Maybe the Pi has more documentation and pinouts if you're into robotics or sensors or stuff like that. BeagleBoard's another one that comes to mind if you're looking for just a simple computer to interface with some basic hardware. But I actually like to look at some of the refurbished computers that you can find on Amazon or, or elsewhere that use a lower power x86 CPU. And when you're shopping around for these, look for a chip number that ends in T as in telephone. Hmm. So an example might be an i3-7100T. And the T usually signifies a mobile chip that you would find in a laptop or in a small form factor computer such as a Lenovo M93 or a Dell Optiplex small form factor. HP has some as well. And the best way to describe the size of these computers is a 3x3 grid of golf balls. So if you picture a 3x3 square of golf balls, that's about the size of the actual computer. Oh, wow. And no, they are not as low power as a Raspberry Pi per se, but you can still get some pretty good performance while keeping electronics out of a landfill, which is something that I really support. Oh, for sure. I love Raspberry Pis. I use them pretty regularly, but there are some situations when I just don't really care for how well they run. Like for graphical things and anything that's like, I know that the Pi 4 is supposed to be able to do like 4K screen like resolution, but it's only in the academic sense that really does it. At least I have not had a great 4K experience with a Raspberry Pi. But I do think like lower power options for x86 based systems is really not a bad way to go. I have a 65 watt TDP, my desktop computer, Commodore 64 Imposter. It doesn't use that much power, but it's also really not all that powerful either. It's kind of you know somewhere in the middle of the road. And AMD really does a good job of the um, APU thing they got going on. They do a good job of keeping their systems quite performant without drawing a lot of electricity. I think price per watt of compute power, I think AMD's 
pretty competitive to a lot of ARM. I don't know about the like the Mac, Apple, Silicon stuff, but at least I know like comparatively speaking, it does seem like it's pretty low on, on power usage. And I do actually track by the watt how much power my home is using. Now when my screens are on and everything else, yeah, I, I can see more significant power usage, but if the computer's just like in a standby mode, like it's just on, but the screen is off, like in a power save, it doesn't really use that much power. Of course, if I'm rendering something, yeah, yeah then it uses a lot of power. Great alternative computer for those kind of small form factor, everyday use applications is an Intel NUC, which means next unit of computing. And these little guys are even smaller than those machines I described prior, and they run Linux flawlessly. They're based on an Intel graphics chip, so everything is open source, works right out of the box. I've evaluated many distributions on an Intel NUC, and I've never had a problem with anything I've tried on it. What do they use for CPUs in a NUC? On the NUC, you'll find that same T-series CPU that you would find in those other mobile chips. Okay. The NUC is nice because it is made by Intel. There's no additional vendor firmware or software in the machine. It's about as vanilla Intel as you get. In fact, Intel makes other model NUCs that are called enthusiast or extreme versions, and those are more meant for power users. Some of them have slots for graphics cards, some of them have a GPU built into them. I had one at one point that had an AMD GPU built right on it. And that was nice because I got a lot of power out of a very small form factor machine. And I was still able to keep the TDP pretty low. I was able to use that as a desktop for a long time running Fedora Linux on it. No issues. It was great. What kind of workloads? Good question. So that system had a 512 gig SSD, a one terabyte SSD, and 32 gigs of RAM in it. I was able to have multiple browsers open, my work applications open at the same time, and also run a Windows 10 virtual machine, which I needed for work as well. The fans would spin up if I did have too many browsers or too many other applications open, but never did it crash, never did it give me any trouble. And I'm someone who does really like to use virtual machines and have multiple operating systems going at the same time that I'm either testing or I'm using in production for work. And that machine held up without any problem. And in fact, I was even able to game on it with the AMD graphics card that was built in. Again, nothing you know crazy AAA, but good game at 1080p across three monitors was not a challenge for it. Wow, that's good to know. What was the uh, model number of that? That was an Intel NUC 8i7HNK1. I7HNK1? Correct. The fact that I've not had that machine for at least over a year, I'm impressed that I could remember that model number off the top of my head. <laughs> I can barely remember what my laptop is that I use every day. So yes, that's quite impressive. I tend to remember things that don't matter and forget everything that does. <laughs> well, I guess you'll have that. Curse of technology. I'm really curious about some of these other single board computers themselves and potentially using them in ways that I have used the Raspberry Pi. So using them for robotics, I see that the Banana Pi does actually have some devices that are specifically developed for STEM. One comes with all kinds of really cool sensors on the board itself and two wheels. So I'm not sure how well the board actually balances itself once you get it going. That is really neat. On their website themselves, you can't buy it directly from them. So I'm kind of curious how easy it is to get your hands on some of these things. The Tinkerboard from Asus also looks pretty cool. I have a question. Yes. The Banana Pie, it comes with wheels. Does that mean once it gets going really fast that it peels out? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't realize Michael was on the show. Hey, everybody. <laughs> That's pretty precious. I think it's an awesome way to kind of put things together. I know when I was looking for parts for the Raspberry Pi and the robotic stuff, the micro bit actually has some really interesting stuff to go with it stem-wise. The downside is a lot of those boards were also really hard to get my hands on just due to the shortages and stuff. But it means that I need to spend more time looking at some of these different boards and the way that I can bring them into using them not only with my kids but with our robotics teams and how can we advance what they're learning on the coding side. Right now, we're really 
hard and fast in getting ready for our season so we're not doing anything extra. But come next semester, it really opens up what we can do and being able to bring these single board computers, all of these different sensors that I have. And I'm not sure how many of the sensors that I have right now, we could also use, say, on another board, but it could be a possibility. One of the boards on here that may be of interest to you, Wendy, called the Libre Computer Board, or also known as Le Potato, which makes me laugh because of the description of calling something a potato. But it's going for $40 with two gigabytes of RAM. And it does support Ubuntu 2204 LTS and Raspbian 11 with hardware accelerated video playback. It's the same form factor as the Pi 3 Model B that can reuse all the existing cases and power supplies and things like that. So that might be of interest. It is only two gigabytes, but it is only $40. That's actually pretty compelling right there. Right now, that's a whole gigabyte larger than the current board that I'm using for our robotics stuff. And we can't do anything else on it. Yes, it can run... The application to do the python code and send that back and forth but if you make the mistake of firing up a browser tab to look up something really quick it doesn't take much before you crash the system just because there's not enough ram and when you're dealing with a single board computer that you have a gui interface on and this one we do that's part of how the code is being written and sent to the devices that we're testing and playing you end up trying to use it for other things And it's really not fun when you're like, crap, I have crashed the system because I've now exceeded its RAM capabilities. And I'm used to having, you know, my regular desktop that's got 32 gigs of RAM in it. I never at this point am worried about exceeding my RAM. So, you know, not even thinking about it and then not being able to shut it down properly because of where it's functioning wise This I love, the lay potato, with the existing size and being able to use existing hardware. I don't have any Raspberry Pi 3 cases, but I'm sure you can find them cheap. You can 3D print them for a really good price, and that's an awesome option. I wonder how easy it is to get your hands on one of those. Is it one of those that you can still find relatively easy? Or is it like some of these other boards? Some from Pine, many from Pine are currently out of stock. I'm not sure about the Banana Pie boards because like I said, you can't buy them directly from there. I do have the Asus Tinker board pulled up and I'm kind of curious as to how easy it is to get your hands on one of those. Ooh, the Tinker board is nice because they work, it looks like directly with Cody, some of these other software options and taking that board itself and making it a fully functional single-use device. Yeah, that is cool. I've heard a lot of really good things about the Odroid as well. On Linux Saloon, regular that joins us, Sravan, he uses it quite a bit. It is a lot more expensive, $137 for a four gigabyte unit, but he says it performs much, much better, but it's a different form factor. That might be a bit of a deal killer for you. But the Libre Compute board is in stock and for 40 bucks, so that might work. That's definitely a plus in my book, especially when we're dealing with shortages. Not only does it need to work well for the application you're putting it to work for, but can you get your hands on them? Can you get enough to outfit a classroom, to outfit a team, to be able to do things with it? Because if you can't buy them at this point, they're really no good. Right. It's a good, nice to have, but it's not a, if you can't get it, then there's no point. Yeah, it makes for a great wish list item. But when I'm talking about things for the classroom and I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay, this is the plan for next semester. These are the things that I would like to lay out and do. This is what I'd like them to code on. Because ideally, we've got, what is it, eight kids, nine kids right now on our robotics team. I'd have to count. My brain is fried at the moment. Hold on. I got to let a cat out. She's making noise. (laughs) I don't want to have a plan laid out. These are the amount of boards that I need. I would like kids to work in pairs or whatever, and then not be able to get my hands on the hardware to do those things or waiting for shipping so long that it kind of passes the time when that would actually be useful. These boards being available, I find as a great option the Le Potato board, you can get a four pack for $150. That makes it really nice for a classroom use. Right. I'm kind of curious about some of the add-ons that you can have with that, with some of the additional software that you can put onto these boards to code on them, do robotic stuff. 
And even something as simple as another pie hole, would one of these boards work for that? It's one of the things I really need to get set up at my in-laws house. I absolutely love mine. It's one of my favorite pieces of hardware in the house because of the additional things that I have set up, protections for kids, whole websites and art accessible for the children, malicious attacking lists that I've added to help with some of that mitigation. And it's something I really, really want in my in-laws house because I do love my in-laws. They are amazing people, uh, but we haven't got them to understand that just because it's a link on Facebook does not mean you should click it. Not all links are good. Not all links are safe. And this would add another layer of quieting my mindset of not having the panic calls because there is a virus taking over our Windows computer, which they don't run Windows, and we've already talked about that. <laughs> and I would love to have one of these set up and running at their house. And maybe one of these other devices are capable of doing that, ones that I could actually get my hands on, but I can't do currently with a Raspberry Pi. And at the same time, not really increasing their power usage much. Having this device on the network that's helping with the malicious stuff, but not really contributing a large amount to their energy bills. Right. That makes total sense. Yeah, I don't know if it would work or not. I, I'm guessing it would. In looking around, Wendy, I found the Odroid M1 with 8 gigabytes of RAM going for $90 currently on hardkernel.com, wow. which is all about the Odroid board and product. It looks like it's got eMMC storage, even M.2 SATA, wow. Ethernet, HDMI, USB. I did copy a link in the show notes for you if you wanted to take a further look. But that looks like it's kind of that same form factor as Pi. A little bit different, of course. Each SBC is a little different. Right. But I feel like a device like that might suit your need for that Pi hole appliance you want for your in-laws. Well, and something like that sounds like it could be a device that you can use for a small computer that you're putting in a place. One that you're attaching to the back of a monitor so it's almost like an all-in-one doing all the basics of web browsing, listening to music. You're not going to be playing games. You're not going to be being photo editing or rendering video. But the basic day-to-day -day stuff, getting things done, looking things up, doing your school projects, research, that would be an awesome device for it. I have used devices like this before as kiosks in a library. Oh, Awesome. And they hold up really well to being on almost all of the time, never really getting shut down. We had one run for a number of years without incident, and eventually they do wear out and you have to replace them. But right. it suited the job we needed at the price point that we were given for the project at the time. I was very happy with how it came out. I absolutely love this one. I'll definitely be doing some more looking into that and definitely the software options for things like this. Yeah, that's really cool. It's a very cool system. What lower power devices are you using? Are there some that we didn't talk about that you are loving that could be used for all kinds of different things from education to day-to-day -day appliances? Make sure you're dropping a comment because I cannot wait to read about them. This is a rabbit hole that I'll be in for quite a while. This episode of Linux Out Loud is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentication such as master passwords and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. Make the smart move like many from the community and have a go at bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. If you're like me, though, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the premium edition, especially since the premium edition starts at only $10 a year. And for that $10 premium account, you'll get things like one gigabyte encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, Vault Health Reports, and so much more. Also, you'll get priority customer support, huh? Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Linux Out Loud. Nate always has a friend in you, Bill, and especially when you're on the show because you love retro stuff, I think, just about as much. 
as Nate does. And you've <laughs> got a retro thing for us this week. I do. I was talking to a couple of my friends and we were reminiscing about our days of land parties back in the late 90s and early part of the turn of the century. And we talked about how we miss games from that era, how we used to run those on Windows XP and then try to get it working with different versions of Linux with Wine before there was Proton and Steam and before we had routers. And so I had this great idea. What if I was able to procure a bunch of the same computer from that era, maybe with some slightly upgraded RAM or slightly upgraded GPU for that time, and preload an image of a bunch of games from that time or even open source equivalents and bring back that feel of using a beige computer with a clunky keyboard and mouse and a CRT monitor with a number of friends for a weekend overindulging on caffeinated beverages and unhealthy snacks. <laughs> <laughs> and just kind of going back to those days that were a little bit more carefree for us in our over 30 and 40 years of age, just for some good times and to really help people reconnect and live out some of those happy memories. We used to have a tradition where every Sunday we would play Serious Sam 2, and that's how we would end our LAN parties on a kind of quirky, happy, upbeat note for a really fun game. So that's something that we're kind of floating ideas about of how, where do we get the hardware? How do we get the software we need? What does that look like? How do we get everybody together, especially where COVID is still not 100% gone yet? Where do we hold this? Who's interested in coming? What do we want to eat? It's something that I'm starting to talk about with some of my friends that are spread out to see if we can make this happen or not. Now, the question I have is, you have these beige boxes, but do you have beige cased CRTs? Does anybody have CRTs anymore? We have one CRT at our office still. It's in use every day. We refuse to get rid of it. But I'm sure that if I were to go through eBay or Goodwill or even some of mm -hmm. my clients that have computers and hardware they're looking to discard, I could come up with something. Even if it's going to my local disposal dump and browsing their electronics and grabbing something out of a dumpster that still works. I'd be fine with that too. But it has to be CRT. You can't do it with an LCD monitor. It's got to be from that era. That would actually be a lot of fun. I was just thinking about what it'd be like to sit my kids down in front of a computer that was just like my first computer and see what they did. Because they're so used to this multifunctional box that has all kinds of things from VR headsets to having a billion tabs open. Oh, wait, I'm the one who usually has a billion tabs open, not them. But anyway, <laughs> they're used to seeing all of that stuff work on a system. And they have played in DOSBox a time or two. But in order to get the full experience, you really do need to use the old hardware to do that. I would be very curious about what your kids thought of playing computer games on a system that had no active internet connection going into it. Right, exactly. No active internet going into it and no color display. Just green and black. That's all they get. So my kids do get the pleasure of playing on old systems to include Atari, Commodore 64, VIC-20, stuff like that. Nintendo, Super Nintendo. And they actually really like it. Now, as far as like the CRT aspect of it, they're kind of more or less indifferent on that, I would say. I don't think they really care one way or the other so much. We've done it back here on the 21-inch HP monitor that I have. That's a CRT. It's an old CAD monitor. And also in the house on the 4K curved screen, which I still think is stupid, TV. And either way, they neither like nor dislike the CRT, if that makes any sense. They do think it's funny how small one of my old monitors are. But outside of that, they've actually experienced that. And it's a lot of fun for me to watch them experience some of these old games. Some of them they like. You can see which games really hold up because they're still very playable and which games do not. And I, I do want to thank Minecraft for really lowering the bar for older systems. <laughs> yeah, because it's meant to be pixelated. It's a very modern game that is definitely pixelated. Yes. My kids really haven't messed with old hardware too much. They have played on an Atari. We do have an Atari. Right now, it really doesn't come out that often. but we don't have a whole lot of games for it. They have played on an older Sega platform and they do play some of the retro games on more modern systems. But I think it's just a different experience. I mean, 
the overall size wouldn't bother them because if you look at my tower, it's absolutely huge. And a tower on one of those wouldn't be much different other than the design of the case definitely looks different. But the screen size, they are so used to all of our monitors being quite large. I use two, what, 32-inch monitors on this main system. The kitchen system has a 27-inch monitor on it. They're not used to looking at little screens. And I think that would be the biggest change in the experience is having this little monitor with text that really isn't as clear as they're used to now. Yeah, with scan lines, the beauty of scan lines. Exactly. 60 hertz (laughs) on a CRT monitor was a very unpleasant experience. One that would just give you all sorts of headaches. And I don't think anybody under a certain age has an appreciation for what anybody went through playing an old game at 1024 by 768 or 1280 by 1024 at 60 hertz. And after half an hour saying that's enough. Well, maybe that's the answer. So we don't spend too much time on our computers. Yeah, you can't anymore. Back to CRTs. <laughs> Parenting through obscurity. Is that what that's called? I would say so. I don't know. You can also get a suntan from it, I think. You will stay in front of a CRT long enough. <laughs> I used to hold a bowl of popcorn in front of mine, unpopped popcorn. And after about five minutes, I'd have a full-blown movie experience. Yummy. <laughs> Those uh, electrons must be escaping. <laughs> My weapon of choice in that era was actually a monitor from Sun Microsystems that was being retired out of my father's office. And it was this humongous 24-inch CRT monitor that did 1920 by 1200. And it must have weighed close to 50 pounds. And taking it anywhere to a LAN party was an ordeal because it would actually bend the table at a certain point. If it sat on the table for too long, it would <laughs> cause the plastic to bend and then your mouse wouldn't be lined up evenly. And the right. you know, other people that were sitting at the table with you would complain and say, get this monstrosity off of the desk. You're taking up all the space. <laughs> as much as I like CRTs, I think to be a little bit pragmatic, it might be okay to bring an LCD screen as long as it's a 4-3 ratio. Could you make exceptions for that? I suppose, but it really takes away from the character of... The CRT experience, when you're trying to set your computer up on the desk and the CRT hangs off the back, or you have to kind of kitty corner (laughs) the two monitors together because some idiot brought a monitor that's too big and now nobody else can fit in the table. And that guy gets banished to another room. Not that I'm speaking from personal experience (laughs) at all, ever. No, of course not. Right, because it's not just the width of the monitor. You've got the depth of the monitor you have to deal with as well. Correct. One of the ways I actually got into Linux was through a friend of mine at a LAN party many years ago on a distribution called Zip Slack, which is basically Slackware that was running on a zip disk. And he taught me how to do some of the basic network tools such as Nmap and Ping. And through discovery that I had not planned to make, I learned that pinging someone's computer at a certain rate with a certain size packet would cause their computer to blue screen and reboot. And that little gem of knowledge (laughs) came in very handy when I would get rushed in these real-time strategy games and be eliminated very quickly. So I would scream and holler in my younger years and complain how unjust this was. And then I would wait about an hour and a half, fire up the zip slack, zip disk, and execute said command and then watch everybody else feel the same way that I felt an hour and a half earlier. (laughs) Naughty, naughty, naughty Bill, getting all of your secrets. But that's the experience that we want to relive in the retro land world. We want to have those faults and those flaws and the slow startup times, relive some of those hardware struggles that we had configuring the computers and see what we remember and what we can build and what lessons we learned from that. And still make it a ton of fun. Nostalgia in the pain. Exactly. So what I'm understanding from your activities at Land Party, if you lost the battle, you would nuke them from orbit. Is that essentially what you would do? (laughs) Exactly. Lose the battle, win the war. Right. Okay. I mean, I like it. So Nate, tell us about some of the trials and tribulations that you're going through with some of these Raspberry 3 power supplies. 
Seems like you've had some pain and suffering of your own as of late in this rabbit hole. One of the issues that I have, not so much that the Raspberry Pi devices wear out or even that the SD cards wear out, it's that the power supplies fail. They go from being fine to then low voltage warnings that eventually just stop powering the device. They have gone through over in the last few years, three or four now that are sitting in an e-recycling bin. So I've decided that for my 3D printer, the Raspberry Pi board I have on that is for my Octoprint system. Started getting these low voltage warnings. I already replaced this twice. This year I've replaced it twice. Could be power surges. I don't know, but they're the only devices that seem to be failing on me. So I'm thinking what I might do is tap off of the 24 volt power supply on the 3D printer since it has plenty of power. It's not pushing that the power supply hard to do the printing. Put like a buck converter on there to drop it down to the five volts. And then also like when I shut the printer down, I don't have to shut off the Octoprint board as well. So I've been kind of noodling this around. I saw a thing online to how to do that. It pretty, seems pretty straightforward. You know, I'm not sure if this will save me money in the long run. I'm guessing it will since I already have the, and the buck converter is like, I don't know, $6-ish. That's cheaper than a power supply. And also, hopefully, I don't start like going through power supplies on my 3D printer. That'd be my next concern. Is it the Raspberry Pis that are destroying the power supplies? I don't know. Probably not. I'm sure that would have been news by now. Anyway, so that's what I have. I think I'm going to be doing next or very soon because I'm, it's just frustrating to have to buy yet another Raspberry Pi 3 power supply. That seems to be probably one of your biggest issues since you've moved into this house. And it's probably more the power bumps because you've experienced so many other electrical difficulties from the power bumps that you've had going on in this house. So I'm pretty sure it's not the Raspberry Pi that's killing it. Hopefully this helps. I would think that that would be a pretty awesome fix for you. And then, like you said, that's kind of nice, you being able to turn on and turn off both devices with one power switch would be pretty easy. Now, I'm assuming you have to shut down the Octopi Octoprint properly, just like any other board. So would you power it down or turn it off and then flip the switch or how would that work? Yeah, that's what I would do. I'd go into the Octoprint web interface and then shut it down from there. Or I could just be a jerk and shut it off and, and hope that it starts back up. Yeah, you know, that <laughs> would be your own version of Russian roulette, whereas right now the power supplies are the problem. I don't know that you necessarily want to kill your Raspberry Pi board that's currently doing all of that work for you so nicely. Right, exactly. I ran into an issue a number of years ago where I was tripping power on a device at a client location, and I couldn't figure out what was happening. Eventually, I took a battery backup UPS and plugged it into the outlet, and then plugged the device into that, plugged the USB into a NAS, and the NAS would alert me every time there was a power trip. However, the building didn't lose power. It had a faulty outlet. And what hmm. UPS was doing was preventing the connected devices from dealing with the fluctuations in that dirty power line. And eventually the UPS would fail. But that's what it was designed to do, was to fail instead of the connected devices. So that may be something you want to try. But more importantly, why does a buck converter cost $6? Shouldn't it only cost a dollar if it's a buck converter? You know, that's what I think too. <laughs> I think I already have the converter. I have a buck boost converter. I can... You're right. It shouldn't be any more than a dollar. But all kidding aside, try the battery backup and it doesn't have to be a big one. You could get like a 350 VA one just to literally try out and see if it's an issue with dirty power coming off of that outlet or if it's something in the way the power supplies are made or something on the Raspberry Pi 3 board that may be specific to why those are popping on you. Oh, it's not just this one Raspberry Pi 3. Actually, I have a Pi 3 in a totally different location as well that also popped on me, or I should say started to fail on me. Then I've had this uh, Octoprint. I've gone through two on this one, and then on another Raspberry Pi. I'm buying like those standard, it's like a wall wart. One of those went out on me on my server rack, which is behind a UPS. So I just got like a regular cell phone charger and plugged it in with that like higher wattage one, higher amperage. That one has held up for quite a while now. I think it's just a specific kind of the official Raspberry Pi bricks or whatever, wall warts. Those are the only things that fail on me. What's worked for me too is those bricks that have multiple USB outlets on them. Mm, I have yeah. successfully powered my entire Pi cluster using one of those and it's got five or six outlets coming out of it. And I have those plugged into all the pies and it saves me an outlet on the power strip it's connected to. And what's actually nice about that is I have it connected to a smart power strip. So if I have a problem, I can just cycle power on that one outlet on the smart power strip and it will reboot all the pies. But I've never had it cause a pie to fail. It's 
been very stable in terms of its power delivery. Well, that's really cool. You'll have to send me a link to what that smart power strip is. I'm, I'm interested in knowing. Absolutely. That. Yeah, that could be a fun device to add. Actually, I get it to work with Home Assistant. It will work with Home Assistant because the network product that it's tied to is Home Assistant capable. Oh, definitely send me a link. I need that link. How much are you willing to pay? Uh, not a whole lot. I'm willing to pay in, in digital affection. You know <laughs> what? Since you're not an Arch user, I will be happy to provide you the link at no charge. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Dang it. That means he'd charge me. No, you're using Manjar. Well, actually, by Matt's rules, <laughs> we would all be disqualified because two of us have Steam decks and one of us uses Manjaro. And I have to get my digs in now because there's going to come one day where I'm probably going to end up on an episode with Matt and I'm going to have a lot to answer for. So I'm getting <laughs> it in now while I can. He's just a big teddy bear. I cannot wait for that day. It's going to be a ton of fun for me. Most of that show probably won't actually make the launch of it. It'll just be dropped on the cutting room floor as I'm laughing my butt <laughs> off the entire time I'm editing. I cannot wait. Well, Wendy, you've got some robotics updates. What are these updates? I imagine all good things, all good things. Yes, I do. I feel like my entire life right now centers around robotics. We are getting super, super close. Last time we talked, we were getting ready for our first four-hour session, which was absolutely awesome. The kids got so much done in that four-hour period. When we started working on some of the other coding, actually using that big attachment that they have, so as a forklift on it that went up and down, and they had this really big extended attachment on top of it that had its own separate motor for opening and closing a bucket so they could catch these energy units lift it up and then drop them into a container in another mission there were two different at least two different missions that they were going to use that with well we're using our large motors for our driving pair our driving motor pair and they were using the medium-sized motors for their attachments. Now, for the front attachments, the one that was opening and closing a bucket, that is not a problem. But for the forklift, the piece that goes up and down, because it was lifting that really heavy attachment that was sticking out, plus a motor of the same size, it just didn't have enough torque in order to do that. And we've had to make some changes. So they took off that bucket attachment. Our plan is to still use that for state. We have like a month and a half after regionals to get a larger motor, one that has more torque, one that'll be able to handle that weight better and then work that coding in to make that happen. But for now, they made some changes to the robot so we can actually get some missions done and achieve some of those goals still. Within the first two hours, they had all of that fixed work through. We spent the next two hours working on coding and the robot is moving really, really consistent. They're doing a great job getting it to the same start place every time. And one of the biggest advantages of us using Python over the scratch code is really the consistency. It does so much better and their code is looking really clean because they have put in functions up above. I think I talked about that a little bit last week. And so as you're reading their code and they're putting comments off to the side. This is push one of three as they're pushing a button forward. It releases one energy unit. They push again, it releases a second. So it takes more than one push in order to get that. The distance looks, of course, the same inside the code and they're able to keep track of that, which is much easier than the scratch code. We went to state without the main coach last year or the seasoned coach. She's been doing this. I think this is her 13th year. And because I wasn't there for all of the code writing, there was something that needed to be changed and looking at the scratch and there's really no notes off to the side. So I wasn't sure what was the start of what mission, where exactly any of that need changes. And this is just easier. It's easier to tell a kid, hey, we need this changed in mission three. And because we're using... Python, we're able to comment lines out, have our little notes in the code and be able to see, okay, this is where this mission starts. That's where that turn is. It gets changed pretty quickly. They write off to the side who changed what. So we're keeping track of what changes happened when. So much nicer overall. Now, yesterday was our second four-hour block, which wasn't as much fun 
but it's because we didn't get to code. We spent all of that time working on getting one of their 10-minute presentations written. Yes, it shouldn't take that long, but trying to get kids to decide on things, get a presentation written is a little bit more difficult. They've got one more they need to write and figure out, but there's a couple more things we got accomplished. They've decided to call their innovation project POW, which stands for Power on Water. And as we were kind of joking and saying, hey, it kind of reminds us of 1960s Batman and (laughs) POW, bam, boom. And the kids have decided to go with that theme. Perfect. I helped them design a button. Now they're going to hand this button out at regionals. And it's got a website link for them. And part of their innovation project, they need to gather data. They need to have a survey of definitely our local area, our community, but anybody that's coming and going from our community, other people in Idaho. So the button has a QR code that people can scan, take them to the website and be able to access that survey so they can gather as much data as they need because these kids are taking a proposal to the Energy Commission. And I am so proud of them and all of the work that they have done to this point. We are recording on the 23rd of November, so we're really, really close to regionals. We have three more meetings between now and then. We have two more four-hour meetings and one regular one-hour meeting that's on our typical co-op day. We'll see how much we can get hammered out between now and regionals. What they get done, they get done. We'll have our best showing we can at regionals and then be gung-ho in preparing for state competition. That is super cool and very cool that they're going to be talking to the Power Commission with their proposals and everything else. Yeah, I'd have to look up the exact name of the commission that they're going to be talking to, but they, in order to change the law that they want changed, are going to have to create a proposal that goes to the federal level, not just the state level. Yeah, that's very cool. And I remember us, we had a chat about if their proposal would actually improve lives for people of Idaho, that is fantastic. And I really hope that this actually makes it some traction and, and goes someplace. I hope it does too. And if it works at one dam on the river, and this is specifically for a law that says that the water has to run from a certain time to a certain time, typically from spring to the end of summer and then on holidays, so that people can see the water coming over the waterfalls. It is for public access in viewing the waterfall. This button would take the place of that access They could see it any time of year, not just on holidays or that time in the spring and summer. And then when there's nobody there to view it, that water is then making power, reducing the overall cost of power in our area. If it works at one, then not only can Idaho take and use that across multiple dams, but it can be used in other parts of the country and potentially other parts of the world. Especially with the cost of energy rising, it seems like wasting energy doesn't help anybody out. And this would help to alleviate that. Absolutely. I'm really proud of the kids and this idea that they've come up with. And I can't wait to see them take this to the next level. So right now we're in the data gathering phase. It's out there, we've put the word out, and people are going, taking it. The more data we can get collected, the better for those people that visit our area have potential impact on that data. I'm just now in the whirlwind of robotics and cannot wait to have regionals done. Oh, for sure. I think what's really neat about this, Wendy, is that your students are getting real-world experience and real-world exposure to real-world problems and trying to develop real world solutions at their age. The experience they have of those social interactions and doing a public proposal, seeing it through, interacting with different constituents that are involved, and then hopefully maybe someday seeing their idea come to fruition is that's a remarkable experience to provide students in the age group that you're teaching. It's one of my favorite things about this program, and it's why I recommend all the time, if you have kids and a local FFL team near you, try and join, get them, get your kids in it 
if they're interested, if your kids are interested and you don't already have a local team, you can be that mentor, you can be that coach, you can help the kids learn these things, have these experiences. And every year it's different. Last year, the focus was on transportation and we got to explore all kinds of different things in those realms, talk to some really neat experts in those areas, especially our local experts get to tap those resources, teaching the kids How do I find experts? This year, it's all about power. And we've had some really cool conversations, not just with the kids, but once again, with local experts. And I know when we went to the power plant, one of the things that they said is, especially the gal that helped set it up. And the two different leaders of our tour said they absolutely loved our group of kids because it wasn't just a, hey, we're on a field trip and getting out of class. For them, it was a real learning experience and they had all kinds of questions to ask them about how this worked and that worked and where they do this. And so they want to see more kids excited about what they're doing and wanting to know about what they're doing. And each year we have a new topic and new experts that we can explore. I look forward to being part of it for years to come. My older boy has this year and next year, and then he ages out, but he can always move on to the older robotics team after that. And then they typically have the same theme as us, but they're tackling it in different ways, have different things that they can do with their robot. Overall, it's a very, very fantastic program, and I highly highly recommend it to anybody who wants to get involved as a mentor or to get your kids involved in the projects. Now it's your turn to toss in your two cents on today's topics. Hit the discourse form, drop us a line under the video, or contact us by visiting textdigital.com contact. If you'd like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, see the links in the bottom of the show description. Find other great shows like Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, Linux Saloon, and more at textdigital.com. Show off your love for your favorite podcasts and shows by visiting Text Digital Merch Store. Grab yourself some awesome swag like the gamer-centric I Pause My Game to Be Here shirt or join Team Wendy with some sinister Wendy swag. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome soda of Linux Out Loud, which also might have Bill. Until then, keep the banter friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. <laughs> <laughs>